design than the yeah well no i mean the guy the guy at the place he said uh he thought it was good he said he normally didn't buy gimmicky uh shaped bottles but he said that that bottle was good this is try this if it unravels anymore another one We have to go to the cigar shop again. Yeah. sensitive things. I mean, it is organic material, so you gotta... It's always gonna be sensitive, you know? I need no light. Okay. So anyway, um... Sometimes it just takes a little while to get get going. So anyway, they got rid of the mask uh, requirement. Doss out, yeah. Still maintain social distance. Oh, so people still can't play basketball. Oh, they can play basketball. Just gotta wear a mask. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. If you're fully vaccinated. Mm. What I was saying the other day is like it might encourage people to get the shot. Maybe you would think all the other stuff going on, they would they would have gotten it already if they wanted to. You get a free donut, you get a free this, <laughs> free that. Hey, whatever, a free scholarship. Well, who knows? But um, you know. Funny how people are just oh like upset because people tell me private businesses are the infringing on their freedom. Yeah. But it's like but you realize that government can't infringe on your freedoms, but if you go into an establishment you're like a guest, like being a no owner. Yeah, I guess they feel like the only reason those establishments are doing that is because of the government, um, you know, either pushing a mandate or having previously pushed a mandate, you know, or, or buying into the, uh, the fear or the whatever they believe it to be. Well, I just think... Uh, people have, pe people, people, I guess, feel like if it wasn't for the government doing this... 
the, would those companies really enforce the mask mandate? Well, I think also too that the you're dealing with people who are probably making ten dollars, nine, ten dollars an hour. Oh yeah, you shouldn't be upset and with so, those people. So those the, people are just uh, yeah. The, for for that, I would definitely agree that you know. I mean, I, I would even say and they don't have health insurance. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, I, I guess if you feel like if you feel like there really isn't anything to worry about, then you're going to be like, why are these people buying into the hysteria? But what I would say to that is. Number one, those people that are making nine or ten bucks an hour who are in charge of enforcing the the mask rule when you enter the store, they can't afford to lose their job, right? So they it's easy to say, well, they should just take a stand for freedom or whatever, but you're not the one going to pay the consequence for their taking a stand. They're going to do it. Yeah. So... There's that, and there's also the fact that a lot of these businesses, they, um, you know, they, they have insurance policies that probably don't cover um, damages or lawsuits. Yeah. If somebody, if there's a declared pandemic or epidemic, and they get sued because somebody caught the sniffles and died, and they were like 92 years old, and it might be a totally frivolous lawsuit, but it doesn't matter. They could still lose their business. Yeah, I gotta pay for the lawyer. <laughs> gotta pay for the lawyer, and even if even if it was covered by the insurance, they could, you know, get dropped by the carrier, or maybe the premiums go up. Nine times out of ten, they get dropped by the carrier. Maybe, but the point is, is that it's still damaging for them, and if they lose their business, that they might have put, you know, thousands of dollars and maybe their whole lives into it, mm-hmm. and they lose it. I mean, they're the ones paying the consequence, not you. But I'm also saying there's people who are bottom of the, the, the bottom of the pile who are doing your service, right? Yeah. They probably don't have health insurance. They can't afford to miss time off from work because they don't have health. They don't have paid time off. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Though some of them might be part-time workers who are high school kids or whatever, and they they could afford to lose to lose hours because they're they're doing it for you know restaurant money or whatever date money well the restaurant workers they get most of their money gets paid by tips no no I'm talking about people working at like a grocery store that, that you know if you're 16 years old you're not working there because you need some people are but for the most part you're not working there because you've got kids to feed you're yeah you're working there because you want to have lunch money or something you know, but, but anyway, I mean, that's one of the things that I noticed about Texas is, you know, a lot of people still wore masks, even though they didn't have to, they didn't ha- they didn't have to by law, they didn't have to because the store wasn't enforcing anything. But at the same time, I'm sure they were walking around town with a mask and they probably got a lot of weird looks. Maybe. I mean, I would say the big box stores, people still wore masks, you know, but uh, maybe the smaller businesses, people weren't wearing anything, but, you know, anyway, so. And there were the economists were talking about, you know, jobs and stuff, and people aren't going back to work and stuff, and I was yeah. like, 
Well, there's a reason for that. I mean, you know, you got... If you get the schools opened up, then, mm -hmm. and I hate... And it just goes back to the stereotyping teachers that they're overpaid babysitters. But the point is, you know, you got people staying at home with young kids. You got to pay for a babysitter and they're making... Yeah, I mean, maybe. You know, I think it's, um, you know, who knows, but... Yeah. But, um, you got, uh, Israel and Palestine in the news, obviously. That's a blood war. Just evolved into the Hatfields and McCoys, and no one knows what the original squabble was about. Except one of them has diplomatic connections and a really strong big brother who could beat the other guy up. <clears throat> I don't know. I, uh, you know, it, it, it's not immediately relevant to this, but I, I wrote a, uh article on my blog today about how there is no solution. I don't mean that there's no easy solution. There just isn't one. Because, you know, the, the two-state solution is dead. Um, the Israeli settlements are interspersed throughout the West Bank, yeah. which make it impossible to... And there's about, you know, three-quarters of a million of, of them, the settlers... No Israeli government is ever going to recall those people back. The The political suicide of the, the... On every newspaper in Israel of, you know, Jewish settlers being uh, forced at gunpoint back across the border, across the green line, back into Israel proper, is no, no politician's ever going to vote for that, right? It was already bad enough when they recalled 10,000 from Gaza back in 05. So nobody's ever going to do that. For, for 750,000 Jewish settlers. It's not going to happen. Um, and, a, and, a, and a country that has a population of 10 million, that's a sizable chunk of change. It's like 7 million people. So it's like a 10% of their population. Yeah, well, still. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can't wall it off because it's all it's all dotted across the West Bank. So you can't, you can't say, well, we'll just keep those under Israeli control because what you leave... Palestine with is a is Swiss cheese with a country with holes all in it and then they want to annex the Jordan Valley which is the border with Jordan right so now you have a country within a country which is not going to work so it's like that's not going to happen and then if you wanted to put everybody into one country Palestine is not going to agree to that unless the refugees can come back and Israel's not going to agree to it if the refugees come back so it's it's one big mess that can't be solved. And Jared Kushner, his Middle East plan, his comment was it's a real estate problem. Which well oversimplifies it. Yeah. Because it's not a just a real estate problem. Yeah, I mean it's a, well it's a problem of you know, the the status quo, which is the West Bank is basically under Israeli control. Works for Israel because they can build settlements, they can expand their presence, they can do whatever which they is want. Illegal, by the way. Right, which is illegal by international law, right? But it doesn't matter, right? Israel can can do that and and get away with it. They're not paying any diplomatic price because the U.S. hasn't done anything, right? In 
you know, almost, you know, 50 some odd years now, 55 years almost that they've had these, that they've had the West Bank. It, the United States has not done anything. They've improved relations with Russia. They've improved relations with China. They've improved relations with the Gulf countries. And, of course, Jordan and Egypt. So they don't have to do anything. Unless they annex the Jordan Valley. Yeah, but we don't know that that's going to have a problem. Because they already announced it. They already announced that that's what they want to do. And it didn't have any impact on anybody. Like, the Gulf countries still went ahead and, and took steps towards normalizing relations. So the only people who are losing out in this deal are the Palestinians who have no, they have nothing to threaten Israel with because even if they rebelled, which they've tried doing a couple of times, it didn't result in anything. So what, what can they possibly do to force a resolution? Nothing. There's nothing that can be done. I guess they, they lost their thunder. They lost their thunder. They never had any in the first place. Well, only when it was... There were pawns. It was only useful when it was useful. Yeah, I mean, like, they had the, the, the first and second intifada, which, at the end of which, they had conferences, right? The Camp David in 2000, and then um, Oslo in 93. But what did that actually produce? Nothing. It produced more talks, is what it produced. Talking produced more talking. Well, it's, it's progress, <laughs> yeah, no? yeah. Old men smoking cigars is what it produced. A lot of a lot of a lot of uh, methane released into the atmosphere is what. It, and, <laughs> and, you know, and it was good for the uh, new news organizations because they got to cover. Yeah, maybe, but. But anyway, that's what I. But you know, the Camp, the Camp David Accords with Jimmy Carter that turned the Suez Canal over to Egypt. Yeah, you're talking about 78. Yeah. I mean, that was itself was pretty major. Yeah, although one would point out that it was <coughs> basically purchased, basically a bribe. The U.S. bribed Egypt and and uh, and eventually Jordan into uh, you know recognizing Israel. Essentially. See how that well worked out for Salah. Yeah, it did well. It didn't work out for anybody except maybe you could say Jordan, but you know, but but yeah, I mean, it, you could say that that's a that's a good thing, but it didn't help the Palestinians. And and I was thinking today on my way to work, you know, I was thinking on my way to work. I said, you know. Israel talked about the, the ghettos in Warsaw and Germany. That's exactly what they have set up. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I mean, they talked about, you know, having an ancient birthright connection to the West Bank, which they call Judea and Samaria. But the thing is, when they've done genetic studies, the Palestinians by and large, share a lot of that same ancestry. They're, they're, they're cookies made from the same dough, yeah. essentially. The only difference is, of course, is that the Palestinians, by and large, converted to Christianity and Islam over the last 2,000 years and left Judaism. It's the only difference. No, Bruce Feeler, have you read any of this stuff? 
Uh, I heard of him. I don't think I've read anything by him. He wrote a book about Abraham. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard that. Uh, that heard was really that interesting because he was talking about how he took a trip to Abraham's supposedly burial place. Was in Hebron, right? Yeah. yeah. And the highway <laughs> is a two-lane two highway, basically. Yeah. But it's surrounded by concrete walls. <laughs> yeah. And you got to zip down the road quickly because people take pot shots at you. Well, they have <coughs> segregated roads. So the to the settlements, the, the roads, they all have the bypass roads that will go directly back into Israel if that's where you want to go or connect to other settlements. But the Palestinian towns, they're all scenic route. So a trip that should take you 15 minutes ends up taking you an hour because you got to go around the long way. You know, it's like I said. I mean, they the Palestinians accept it because what what are they going to do? You know, especially in the West Bank, yeah, they, they've got nothing to do. And, and what I've also read is that because I, I didn't necessarily maybe I, I read this before and didn't retain it or didn't realize what the implications were, but the Palestinian Authority, by and large, their budget comes from international aid. It doesn't come from Israel. Yeah, and so they are basically the subcontractors of the Israeli regime because they take care of the trash collection and the, you know, street paving and whatever else needs to be done. But Israel doesn't pay anything for that. It's all coming from the international government. So, meanwhile, the, the PA, who's responsible for negotiating to get a, their own state, they're just, you know, making money, making civil service uh, jobs, you know, paychecks. And going on fancy international junkets and, you know, fancy lunches and stuff and go on podcasts or, or TV interviews and get the VIP treatment, but they're not doing anything. All about the Benjamins. Yeah. I mean, so they have no incentive to actually do anything about it because if they do, it risks that gravy cart. It's, um... So, you know, it's, it's a perfect storm of problems. And some people have have come out and said this is de facto one state now you might as well come out and uh, you know acknowledge it and start making preparations on what that implies because you know if you just let it fester it's not going to it's not going to go away too many people have a vested interest to keep the conflict going because it's a money train well yeah or they don't have enough incentive to change anything but they do need to address the economic inequalities because that's going to be a, a fester and it's going to create problems. I mean, yeah. you can't Apparently the whole economy on the West Bank is pegged to the shekel, which makes Palestinian labor and goods uncompetitive on the global market. See? If they... It, So what people are saying is that that you know through because of the settlements, not maybe not only but in large part because of those settlements, Israel has made a two-state solution impossible. And you can't complete. You can't you can't turn the turn back the clock on it now. Which is what Israel wanted all along anyway. That's the hypothesis that some people have. I mean, why were they, else would they encourage settlements? 
you know, somebody who is, you know, taking the side of Israel might say, well, these were originally planned as, you know, a early warning system in case of invasion, and they've just, you know, accidentally, it's, you know, like the guy who accidentally had an affair, you know, it's, (laughs) what, just, he tripped and fell, and a perfect storm happened, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, that's what, you know, that's what they would probably, that's, you know, I've, I've heard some variation of that story before, that, it, you know, it was something that wasn't intended to be permanent, but became permanent. But, I mean, you're, you're actively continuing to make choices, you know. It's one thing if you had a couple settlements and you're like, oh, holy shit, we gotta pull this stuff back. And you say, whoops, we're sorry. But when you say it was an accident, but we, we kept making that accident over and over again. Mistakes were made. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I like that line. Mistakes were made. I'm not at fault, but mistakes were made. Yeah. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Um, they really need to figure out what they're going to do with the Gaza Strip. Because you've got that whole strip there that came in with humanity that had nothing to do but... Well, what was it, the UN or Human Rights Watch or whoever it was said that uh, the Gaza Strip's not fit for human uh, inhabitants. So, I mean, you have two million people living there. Yeah. And I I looked it up. It's 140 square miles. That's that's about a fourth of the size of Loudoun County. With four times as many people. can't work. Right. I think unemployment's like 40 or 50 percent. Yeah, but people are not working, so when people have too much time on their hands, it's trouble. They gotta figure out how they're gonna, I mean, and, and they've walled it off so that people can't move from Gaza Strip to Israel, or Gaza Strip to Israel. Right, and they've, got, and they've got Egypt coming up the, the border on the other side. Yeah. So they can't go either direction. And people say that it's Hamas's fault, but it's like, it's 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 chicken or the egg, really. I mean, would Hamas exist if it wasn't for the occupation? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can't expect people aren't going to want to fight back. Yeah, especially and if you give them too much time on their hands, I think, or nothing to do. Trouble fine, you know, yeah. fine. they can't afford right you gotta give them a, a, a venue f- for them to pursue their dreams who knows there might be another Einstein in there some in the mix yeah well they were also saying that even on like the West Bank um, you you need a permit you need to get a permit to build if you're Palestinian a permit to build a house or a building or whatever and because it's so hard and so arduous to get permits people just build anyway and then Israel comes in and, and bulldozes. bulldozes it because these were unpermitted. And because there's no formal constitution in Israel, everything's kind of a hodgepodge of Israeli law, Ottoman millet system, Jordanian law. They just come in and, and kind of pick and choose which one is going to be most favorable to them to, uh, 
to enforce the outcome that they want. And like I said, <laughs> it's become the Hatfields and the McCoys because they've lost with what the original plot was in the first place. Now yeah. his brother again. No, you killed me. You killed my brother, so I'm going to kill your brother. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, they say like that the um, the refugees who left in '48 is because they were intending to leave and then come back with the Arab armies instead of thinking to themselves like, I don't know, three years earlier, World War II ended. And World War II was not a place you wanted to be an unarmed combatant in, you know, in Central Europe. I wouldn't have wanted to be. I would have fled for the hills, too, if it were me, right? I mean, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And instead, it's like, well, you know, we just have to deal with it. But meanwhile, uh, the refugees who are, you know, three generations later still living in camps in around the, the Middle East. And you got to believe that there's a lot of bad feeling on that one. Of course. And people don't want them there because they feel like this is a, a harbinger of crime and terrorism and Not political political instability. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's that's what it is. But it doesn't change the fact that they're in a desperate situation and they would like to go home. Yeah. And who wouldn't? Or they see what used to be theirs. Yeah. And they want compensated for. <laughs> Yeah, money in banks that they were never re uh, compensated for, businesses that they lost, homes that they lost, obviously. And that uh, the milk in the desert wasn't really the milk in the desert because they were performing miracles in the desert for Israel. I understand, I mean, I understand the, the feeling at the time that, you know, give Jewish a homeland because of what happened in Europe and they needed a safe haven right but it was pretty um, arrogant to take land that really wasn't theirs to begin with yeah but that's typical European well and it solution. started and it started and what people don't often talk about is a lot of it started because of the pogroms and the ghettos in Europe that Jews were fleeing and the American Jews did you want uh, the Devil's River, or you want to try the High West again? How is it on the second try? Because remember, we tried this last. We, we tried it last week. Sometimes, you know, you you pick out different flavors. The second. Yeah, I agree. It's still. Doesn't have a high uh, flavor profile in it. I'm surprised because Texas does everything supposedly better than Well, so far, I haven't been impressed with. Texas whiskey that I've tried. I tried the uh, Long Branch, which is the Wild Turkey um, collaboration with uh, Matthew McConaughey. I wasn't impressed. So anytime you get a celebrity involved in it? Well, there's that, but also apparently he did a lot of it with, you know, Texas-style whiskey. Uh, and even like the corn whiskey that we had from Balconis, the Baby Blue, I wasn't impressed with that corn whiskey. So, I mean, I you know, who knows? There it is. It's called Flying Ace Distillery, which is, they're opening up in Luckett. Uh-huh. And apparently in 1800s, Virginia had their own type of corn. It was kind of a burgundy flavor. Uh-huh. And so it's 
all been extinct because the other corns were more favorable. Yeah. So this guy's bringing it back oh. and using it in his whiskey. Oh, good. Well, you can try it. Um, but anyway, back to the story I was saying. <clears throat> the um, the Jews who were leaving Eastern Europe, the ghettos and stuff, the American Jews who were more liberal, you know, not, not as religious, were kind of worried that these people were going to be coming and wanting to muck around with what they built. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of what, what was that? Uh, show from from uh, the late '80s was it? Uh, it was the one where the guy, his his cousin from Greece, comes and visits him, and it was on uh, TGIF, like late '80s, early '90s, and uh, I, I don't say I don't think it was trading trading places or, or something, something like some some show I vaguely remember, but you know how it was he was cramping his style. Because he was, you know, from Greece and Old World, and he was coming with this guy. I guess the story took place in California or something. Anyway, the they were worried that that was going to happen. They were going to upset the gravy train. They were going to come here with their traditional ways, and you know. Jeez, that, that story <laughs> seems to run through a lot through our immigration into the yeah. United States. Yeah. So what they decided to do was they they wanted to help these people, so they paid for them to go to the Middle East. And this was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They were just paying for them to go and, and build little kibbutzes in, in Israel, what is today Israel and, and Palestine. Well, they bought a lot of land, right? But they were buying it from absentee landowners who were in Syria or Anatolia somewhere with dubious claims to the land, right, with, with, with deeds. And they showed up and kicked the people who were farming the land and living on it kicked them off and made it Jewish only right so it's, it's like it's like uh, the modern day stories where somebody rents a rents a house from from Craigslist and it turns out it wasn't actually being listed that's funny because that that theme runs through American immigration a lot especially yeah. the, the Irish yeah <clears throat> so <clears throat> so anyway, I mean, that's kind of where all of this kind of originated from. And, you know, it, it led to some tensions, as you can imagine, between people who yeah. think, hey, I don't, you know, you, you might have said you bought this land fair and square, but I've been living here for, you know, 100 years or squatters. whatever. Right. Supposedly, or maybe they weren't squatters, because it's not like, you know, it's not like nowadays where everybody's land parcels recorded in a database on the Internet. Right, it's not like you could just go, and it's not like they did just go to Ankara or Istanbul and say, "Hey, let's go look at the land registry," most of which wasn't even done at the time. Yeah, it was like it was whoever was here first, whoever's here, yeah, right. Which is because cause that's a lot of the problem that Jordan found after they took the West Bank in, after the forty-eight war was they found that a lot of the land parcels... No, no, no. When Jordan took... After the 48 war, Jordan took West Bank and administered it until the until they lost it in 67. But uh, they found that a lot of land parcels were not recorded. There was no deed for them. So they had started the process of recording deeds and said who owns what. But it wasn't even nearly completed. But that recording deeds is more of a European... Um, practice. Oh yeah. 
but Jordan had European roots. Everybody did in those days. You know, everybody wanted to make them make their legal systems more European and incorporate, you know, but parliamentary Jordan was British. Right. So <clears throat> British the England would want that because that's how they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about all of the places they all have parliaments. They don't have bicameral legislatures like the United States does. <coughs> well, no, England has. England has a parliament. But right, but they have. It's a bicameral House of parliament, but it's not like a legislature like ours. It's a parliamentary system, where the the executive is a member of the legislature. That's right. You're right. The prime minister. Right, he's an MP. MP yeah. Right. So, but anyway, the 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 point the point being is that they hadn't even finished recording everybody's land claim when Israel took over, and of course Israel had no interest in recording which Arabs own which land, right? Because you know, <clears throat> part of which some people would say because they planned on annexing the whole thing. Another part of which is that people would say, well, maybe they were planning on trading this land for peace anyway so why bother it's a rental car why bother even getting it an oil change if we're just going to be giving it away anyway how big is the west bank well size of it's 22 percent i think it's 22 percent of or 22 or 20 percent of the whole land so if you take if you take the whole thing israel and palestine together it's about 20 percent the, the size so it's about the size of Northern Virginia, basically. Probably, yeah. Just about. Still a, a quite a bit of... Well, and, and it's arable, too. A lot of it's arable, yeah. They, well, olive trees is a big thing. <clears throat> but, you know, a lot of people lose their olive orchards because it, you know, ends up being taken over for a settlement or whatever. There's no, no easy answer for the Middle East. But there, I, yeah, I mean, not not anymore, at least. <clears throat> I mean, because everybody wants what they can no longer have. I mean, you can't. They want what they can no longer have, or they want what they want on their own terms, right? Then you got the oil question too. Well, I mean, I think that's less of an issue now than it used to be. That's true. Not only because the United States is. Squeezing the last bit of oil out of its reserves. Or the future is in things like nuclear and... Green. Maybe. not Certainly not yet. <clears throat> not based on anything anybody's been able to show scientifically. It's all a pipe dream. Well... You know, but anyway, the the point is, is that it's it's a terrible situation. <clears throat> and, then and then you got Yemen. Well, yeah, that's that's just a situation where <clears throat> the U.S. should have never gotten involved, and if they hadn't gotten involved, nobody else would have gotten involved. You know, the 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 Houthis, which everybody wants to talk about Iran, the Houthis majorly benefit from their their alliance with Saleh. Right, who, who they killed because he, he backstabbed them. But they allied with him, 
And when he stepped down in 2011 from being the president, he took a lot of the military with him. And so who do you think equipped that military the previous 15 years? Let me guess. <laughs> the initials are... <laughs> yeah. So Only because we thought that he was a bulwark against uh, Al-Qaeda. No, well, Al-Qaeda Al for the most part. Yeah. To a lesser extent, um, the communist stuff. The South was more armed by the USSR, and before that the British, because it was a bulwark against Italian Somaliland. <clears throat> right? So everybody's kind of got their fingers in the pie, so to speak. But the, the Houthis had grievances with the central government. They felt that they were not being adequately taken care of. They were being neglected. Maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong. Who knows? That, that answer is lost to the sands of time <coughs> at this point. But they decided that, you know, they weren't going to get any response from Hattie, who himself was corrupt. So Sulla was <coughs> killed. And then the next guy was Adi. So Sulla was president, and then he stepped down as a result of the Arab Spring protests okay. in 2011. His vice president, Mansour Hadi, he became president. He ran for re-election, unopposed. Uh, unopposed. And every quote, unopposed. <laughs> yeah, and got 78% of the vote. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Miraculous. It was a really, uh, a really uh, Dewey, Dewey beats Truman uh, moment. <laughs> so, you know, he, he was president. The Houthis weren't happy with that, and they rebelled. They weren't feeling that he was playing ball with them, and they took the capital. But that was more of a... Of a the Houthis are... And, and it probably comes down to... In Yemen, that doesn't matter. Really? The, the Zaydis, who the Houthis belong to, that's a Shia sect, virtually indistinguishable from Sunni Islam. The, the 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 difference is the difference between it would be like if you went to a Methodist church versus a Presbyterian church. I'm sure there's a difference. The average person would not be able to perceive that. So, so they they're not they're not it's not a big deal. And besides that, they already had fought against the government in 2004 when Saleh was president, and he is a, a Zaidi himself or was I should say. So it's not a religious thing at all. It's entirely... Tribalism. What? Similar to that, yes. Because I remember you, you and I talked about it before, where tribes are... One of the things that we in the West don't really appreciate or understand is all tribes. And the person who has the biggest stick in to command their loyalty. Oftentimes, yeah. Or you bribe them. Right? And if, you, if the bribe's not high enough, people get upset. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and so the Houthis took over. Now, they don't have a lot of friends. And Iran decided that this was an opportunity to poke Saudi Arabia, who they don't like, and Saudi Arabia doesn't like them. And I think it more goes the other way. Saudi Arabia has more feelings against Iran than Iran does against Saudi. But, you know, Iran decided, hey, let's... <laughs> Is it probably because I think... Iran's more Persian, and they tend to have a dim view of if you if you call a, an Iranian an Arab, you're going to get a, a black eye. Well, maybe yeah, but I, I think it's I'm, and I'm being figurative. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, Saudi Arabia, the Salafism, which is the founding religion of Saudi Arabia, is takes a very negative view of Shiism. And the Shiism that Iran practices, Twelver Shiism, is very, very distinguishable. <clears throat> Unlike Zaydism, it's very distinguishable from Sunni, Sunni Islam. And there are many people who are senior religious clerics in, in Saudi Arabia who view Twelver Shias as heretics. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from a, a, a maybe a historic cultural infer- inferiority complex that some of the Arab civilizations have about Persian civilization. Because Persian civilization is very ancient, has a lot of monuments that are still around today, they exist a lot in history books. There's not a lot of ancient Arabia that you'll find in history books. Not a lot you'll find. Keep it up. Or, or it's just a different. It's a different climate. I mean, people. <clears throat> you know, the Persia was a, a, a civilization that existed for thousands of years, and the Arabian Peninsula was largely nomadic and pastoral. So it's different. Um, and some people will feel that there's an inferiority complex, and I think that there's some truth to that. Uh, Either way, Iran got involved to a limited extent, basically as a cheerleader for the Houthis, um, as a way to, you know, just stick it it in the gut of uh, Saudi Arabia. And I I have to agree with you because if you think of Saudi Arabia, there's not a whole lot to see except Mecca. Yeah, I mean, they've built up like Riyadh and and Jeddah. But I mean, as things to see or things to do or or to respect the history of yeah there's Mecca and Medina basically both countries with both cities which non-Muslims can enter so you know there goes your tourism I thought you could go into Medina no it's a holy site of Islam I know you can't go into Mecca yeah Anyway, um, so what um, what I was um, going for here was that Iran wasn't that their that their involvement is very limited because of the fact that um, there's a blockade on Yemen that the, the the border is controlled by Saudi Arabia in the north, the eastern border is desert, right? The border with Oman. Uh, and the the coast is all patrolled by the U.S. Navy. So the idea that they're getting significant aid and weapons. Maybe the the you said the U.S. Navy. Yeah, because they they just um, intercepted a big shipment of illegal arms. Supposedly, I mean, who knows? I mean, we're 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 the, the people who want Iran to to be involved in a significant way are the only ones producing evidence that Iran is trying to send weapons to the Houthis. Awfully convenient. You know? The people who want there to be a smoking gun are, are finding a smoking gun. But the people who don't want to find a smoking gun or the people who are open to either way haven't really found anything significant. So, you know, anyway, the the... The long story short on that is is just that it's it's a humanitarian crisis because this is an already poor country in Yemen 
you can't even bomb it so much, man. You can't even bomb sand so much. It's been over six years and they've not made a dent. The, the, the goal for the war was we need to dislodge the Houthis from, from Sana and, you know, restore the, the government. Right? Six years later, they're not even close. The only thing that they've managed to do is halt the Houthis from taking the south. Which is important. Uh, I mean, they have those south are is where ports. The ports are. Yeah, although they have ports in the north too, along the Red Sea. But yeah, they wanted to control Aden. They've managed to stop them from controlling Aden. Although I would, I would argue that the Houthis really didn't have the manpower to take Aden anyway, or at least hold it. They don't. The, the... Right. So you know, but they've and not managed. Hold is inside. Right. Well, no, it's it's actually in in uh, in Hodeida, but you know. So anyway, that's you know a situation where the U.S. has involved itself, and Biden has said, you know, we're suspending our support for it, but they've also kind of gone back on that and said that they're still supporting defensive operations of Saudi Arabia, which, <clears throat> by the way, the border between Yemen and Saudi Arabia is disputed because they had a war in the 30s in which Saudi Arabia took some territory from Yemen, and there are. But that's a a European construct. What the the border? The border. Yeah, the the border was well. No, the the border. Yeah, the border was. Well, I mean, what I would say is that. Um. Th- there was no officially marked border. Yeah, if you look at the map, it's dotted lines. Right, but they had a they had a war, in the thirties. The the monarchy of Yemen and the monarchy of Saudi Arabia. They had a war, <clears throat> and. Saudi Arabia took some territory from Yemen, territory that is today part of Saudi Arabia. So there are people in Yemen who want that territory returned. How much that has to do with the current conflict, who knows, but that's, you know, might feed some of the, the some of it. You know, I've always thought that the Middle East is such a Conundrum. Such a hodgepodge that it, it's it's like a maze. The best thing to do with the Middle East is just uh, stay out. Yeah, because you can't you can't figure that out, and what you think is an important lesson, or what you think is an important uh, line to draw, is turns out not to be so important. Yeah. And, and you know, back in the old days, it was pretty easy to determine size because it was it was the Soviet Union and the United States, and, and and even then, it wasn't so clear because you had people who were playing both sides, or siding with the Soviets because they were the only alternative to the siding with the U.S. I mean, when the U.S. sided with the French in Vietnam, who were the North Vietnamese going to turn to? they wanted to get outside help, the only choice was to side with the Soviets. Because China wasn't... Instead of telling the French, look, this is your deal. You want to keep a colony, you got to do it yourself. Because that's what they were trying to do, is keep, a, keep their colony intact. Yep. 
Yeah. They didn't recognize the jig was up after World War One. And I read somewhere where World War One really woke the world up because before World War One, people looked at Europe as being like bulletproof, like the end all be all. And after World War One, where they saw the, the, the pitfalls of Europe and they were, Europe was so involved in fighting each other that they let this stuff go, that they, they, they would say, no, we can do it ourselves. Yeah, to some extent. And of course, then Wilson's self-determination really lit the candle because Ho Chi Minh wasn't, he was a nationalist first before he was communist. And yeah. he was only became communist when he was turned away at the, yeah. At the side. Yeah. So... You know, that's stuff that, that, you know, fed into these things, you know. Such a... Of course, that was the down, downfall of some of the European powers a hundred years earlier when they were fighting against Napoleon. You know, the Austrians had a uh, multi-ethnic army that nobody spoke the same language as each other. So the Czechs would be off doing something, and the, the Austrians who were speaking German were doing a different thing, and nobody knew who was doing what. The dual monarchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was before the dual monarchy, but still, you had an army where parts of them were speaking Croats, parts of them were speaking Slovak, part of them were speaking Czech, speaking Austrian, speaking Italian, and then, you know, you got to get translators for everybody, translators for each of the military dispatches, and then... You know, meanwhile, Napoleon's just running circles around you. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and not to mention your allies who, you know, whether you were allied with the Russians or the, the Polish or whoever, they're speaking their own language. Mm. There's a video uh, channel on YouTube that I, I used to watch. I haven't. Um, watched it in a while, but they, they did a um, starting in 2014, and I think it's still going on. Um, they did World War One week by week, so they did each week what was going on in the in the war. And we're still being impacted by World War One. <sighs> what a war! Terrible tragedy. And they still have parts. They don't talk about this, but there's still parts of Europe can't go and, to. You can't go to because of the munitions and the poison and yep. the unexploded munitions. Yep. Big mess. So And they're still like you said, they still stories where farmers get blown up because they plow and hit accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, not a good way to be. But yeah, a lot of this originates from back then. You know, Yemen was a, at least Aden was a British protectorate, right? And it wasn't just the city of Aden. There was a place surrounding the city that was also part of British British mm -hmm. rule. And then, of course, Palestine was a British mandate. You know, yeah. and people... <clears throat> Balfour Declaration. Yeah. And people, you know thought of themselves differently even even a little bit before that thought of themselves as Palestinians as opposed to 
Arabs of different um, abstractions. So, mm. uh, somebody somebody on um, Twitter was saying that uh, as a Palestinian refugee, um, even even with their refugee ID that allows them to travel a little bit more freely, they still get. Uh, discriminated against because people can tell that they're Palestinian based on their uh, accent. And you know, and that's funny. I, I keep getting this at the at the airport within my staff. They look down the Muslims look down on Irene on the um, Hindus. And I'm sure vice versa. Yeah. You know, because there's a there's a neo nationalist movement in uh, in India. You know, because it's always been a tension when you're you want this one or the Devil's River. Um, I'll finish this one so we can get real about What this one? This one. Oh, this one. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, the uh, the flask shaped bottle. Um, I wouldn't either. Both of these we're just drinking to get rid of the get rid of the bottle. Basically, we're we're not. Uh, not big not fans. fans. Yeah, I, I did pick up another, a different bottle when I was in Texas that you can't, I've never seen here. But it's a Kentucky, it's a Kentucky bourbon. And it's interesting because you were talking about going to Kentucky, going to the distillery. Yeah. And you can take the tour, but they don't have a tasting. No, when I went to the one that I went to was Buffalo Trace. They had a tasting, but they when I went through, they only had one bottle for sale that was left it was a, a bottle of Blanton's which a lot of people like but it's a $65 bottle maybe one day I'll try Blanton's and sometimes you can find it here but you have to come in on delivery day at the ABC store which is no I mean sometimes I mean I was maybe a year and a half ago I was there and they did have one but I was like I don't really feel like paying $65 for a bottle of anything I mean it's very rare that I'll you know, be like, hey, a, a, a bur- especially for a bourbon, like $60 for a scotch is, is probably worth it because you're not going to be able to find something good other than that. But for a bourbon, there's a lot of bourbons that are, you know, 40 and under that are really good. So anyway, they, they only had one bottle of Blanton's. And I was like, I don't feel like, you know, I'm going to have to ship this back to myself. Don't feel like doing that. <clears throat> so right? when you taste it, you get that bottle. No, no, no. This is they. They just had their. They had sample bottles. Oh, I see. What you're the, the upstairs in their tasting room, they would you know have a little uh, plastic cup, like a little like um, I guess I guess for like a, a medicine, you know that you would get at the doctor's or like a communion oh, okay. style. It was that size, and they would you know you'd sample. They had a sample of their vodka. They had a sample of um, a couple of different. I think three of their bourbons. For you to try but they only had one for sale and it was gone by the time i because we got there a little bit early we had like 10 minutes before the tour started so we walked around just looking at the the visitor center which had different different things to look at gift shop all that stuff <clears throat> by the time we were done walking around it was gone before the tour had even started and this was like the second tour of the day it was like noon wow. we were there um so yeah but you know Presumably, maybe there's stuff for sale someplace. I don't know. The um, 
I, I, I do want to, this summer, apparently they have tours in Manassas and Catoctin. Yeah, we should try it. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting just to see how they make the whiskey. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'll be interesting. Yeah. But anyway, we've got about three and a half minutes left. Any uh, thoughts? Snide remarks? You know, it's interesting. You were talking about, um, briefly, people looking down on each other for different things. You know, it's funny because I was up the, at the, the facility today and I was watching people come in and they, they read the sign and they're like, oh, the math. I was like, really? Okay, I, I get uh, I get it, but, you know, it's been a hell of a year, but, but here we are. 100 years after the, the pandemic of 1920 and we're still repeating the same mistakes. Same mistakes. Some people say the mask didn't even help back then. Now, I don't know. I've, I've not read much on this. I just see what people post on Twitter. People have people have extreme opinions on both sides. They say, oh, the mask is useless or the mask needs to be part of everyday life now. I don't know. I think the mask were, was important because it, it did provide a first line of defense against getting sick. Yeah. But to make it a political statement was totally <laughs> wacko. And it just shows that people... Well, I mean, what I would want to know is what if somebody wore a, uh, a MAGA mask? You know, what if they had a mask and it said Make America Great or Trump 2020 or whatever? Well, I thought it was hilarious because Trump was always the one who was saying... Don't wear the mask. Right, but I mean that's... But for him, it was a moneymaker. Well, no, no, no. But I was going to say, though, if you're making presumptions on whether somebody wears a mask or not and what their political views are, right? If you say somebody wears a mask, they're a Democrat. Somebody doesn't wear a mask, they're a Republican. Well, if somebody steps outside of that and they, they you know, wear a Trump 2020 mask, what does that say about their politics? Well, I, th I, know? When I saw someone wearing a mask with had MAGA or Trump 2020. I, I just laughed and said, you're an idiot because... Because you didn't, you not because this guy, you, 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 it's all money for him, because he was milking money out of you. That's the whole point, right? That's why people get involved in politics. And it still irks me that these people don't realize that they're doing his bidding, and yet he doesn't pay for the consequences. Yeah, of course not. So he's but that's, but that's true for all all the politicians. True, but more so with the insurrection that he never went to back for these people who were being charged for an insurrection. He was like, ah, oh, so sad. I'm not I'm glad I'm not you. <coughs> and then yeah. people like Giuliani who went to bat for him, or, or Michael, uh, the, the lawyer, Michael Cohn. Yeah. He's like, ah, eh, you know, stewing your own juice, pal. You're on your own. Yeah. Well, on that note, I guess we'll uh, we'll end it here and uh, until next time.